But what I found was, is that when we dug deep into our problems, all the answers were very similar. Some of us have a tendency to be more addicted. Some of us have a tendency to just be more depressed. And then some of us have a tendency to just stay connected. I'm like, what's the answer to this? Why, why are these all these different variables? And when it came down to it, when we're able to see ourselves clearly, when we're able to use these tools that we had to see ourselves clearly and not have to believe the bullshit from our parents, the bullshit from society, and be able to just decide on what we want for us personally, we were able to overcome what seemed like insurmountable odds. Like one guy had 126 employees and he goes, he came to the group and he goes, it was his very first time. And he goes, I have all of this responsibility and I'm failing everyone. My boss is angry at me. I don't know where we are at, with time. Hey there, my friend. Welcome to the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. I am a cardiothoracic surgery PA with a background in public health and neuroscience. I'm also your peak performance coach. I had to say no to working extreme long hours where I was always on call and feeling exhausted, underappreciated, and undervalued, and said, heck yes, to a life and career that elevates my energy and passion without compromising my health and sanity. Now, I'm among the mission to support ambitious healthcare professional like you with a demanding career to become a confident leader who are living purposefully and fulfilled to truly be both a powerhouse in your career and a passionate person in life. Let's start our journey today. Hi, everyone. This is Sabrina, your host for the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals podcast. And today we have another exciting speaker and guest here with us. We know in medicine, we talk about so much on disease process, but not enough on our own self, our relationship, on trust building, on our pleasureness of who we are as a being, because the more we feel good about ourselves, guess what? Everything just blossom, right? Like where I say so much on giving the best of you, not what's left of you. So Reed Richardson here, we actually connected on Clubhouse on the room that both of us were in and decided just to check and to do each other's work. So he is someone who has a very interesting story. He grew up in a cult and surviving of childhood sexual assault. And he is a breakthrough and relationship coach and co-founder of the super powered human. And from addiction to family illness and natural disaster, he survived and overcame the impossible with his queen and wife, Jess. And they have been married for 16 years and have five incredible kids together. And today we're going to talk about everything in this episode on trust, relationship, manifesting a sexuality, love, and all the fun things that we don't really necessarily think about as a healthcare professional, as someone who are in this tough position to really go out in the world, just treating other people's illness and disease, but overall it's about healing, right? And then from an inner perspective. So Reed, thank you for being here with us. 
Thank you so much, Sabrina. I am so excited. And when I first met you on Clubhouse, you brought so much energy and you just weren't afraid to really show, really share your wisdom. And that really struck me. And I don't know who reached out to who, but we had a great conversation shortly afterward. And I'm super excited to be on your show and be live on Facebook right now. I don't know who's popping in or what's going on. Literally haven't been on social media. This is my first time being on social media for about seven weeks. I may have commented once or twice or liked my daughter's things because she's on there, but this is fun back into it. And my wife and I have been really focusing on a lot of personal growth and really establishing ourselves. We just recently moved, upgraded, changed our life and are setting ourselves up for a lot bigger mission that I ever could have imagined. So thank you for having me. And I'm really excited to talk about health and sexuality and intimacy. Yeah, amazing. I mean, you've gone through so much, right? From the youth and growing up as a doll. I mean, I would just love to hear some of your stories and I'm sure other people will be wowed by it. So tell us more about yourself and what was that journey like? And then what was that enlightening moment really clicked with you to make that shift? Let's start out with my background and then I'll, I'll give you my epiphany. I've had several in life. I think we all do. I grew up in a, a large family. I was part of the LDS religion, but we had our own beliefs and it was slightly like a cult. And as I grew older and as I was a teenager, I realized it was just like a cult. Um, not occult, but a cult where people protect their beliefs. When your belief is so important to you, you have to just uh, vehemently protected if it's everything. And since my family were kind of a little different than most LDS people, they started searching for people like themselves. And so we were traveling up and down the West Coast. They said, we're looking for the pure in heart. And um, one of my first memories, trigger warning, my dad would molest me as we were driving down the road. It wasn't harsh. It wasn't disciplinary. It was what he called playtime. So those were some of my first memories, also eating strawberries and dirt on a strawberry farm. <laughs> I lived in Mexico as a little child. We traveled absolutely everywhere in our little Airstream trailer and eventually ended up in North Nevada, where I befriended um, a mentally challenged 16-year-old boy. His dad was the bishop and he felt weird to me. He stuttered. That wasn't the weird. It was you know, as a child, we have these senses. I could sense something. And I said, mom, he seems kind of weird. And she goes, he's okay. He's nice. He's nice. And um, I said, I'm like, I'm not sure. Like he's scary. And so I started playing with him and everything was fine. Everything went really, really well. He was so much fun. The stuttering was cool. It's all right. And um, one day during a birthday party, and I don't, to this day, I don't remember whose party it was. But we walked outside and he had me go out in a field. And, you know, the first memory I had was like him telling me to take off my clothes. And then after that, all I could remember is that there was excruciating pain and I woke up and he was gone. And pulling myself off the ground was really difficult. I was completely frozen, wasn't sure how long it had been. And then as I walked back 
to my home, I realized that I was completely different. I realized that nothing would be how it was. And I looked at my skin and saw that it was blue. And I was like, this, this is really weird. Like, I don't look right. I don't feel right. I don't feel like I can even be in front of anyone. And I remember just kind of that started this hiding. So I, I went to the bathroom and I was just trying to clean up and try to make myself look better. And I saw I have ripped pants and I'm just like, I'm a mess. Like, what do I do? And um, it was like my mom was suspicious, but she never asked questions. And so from a very young age, I never felt like I could just express the deepest, darkest parts of me. And there were several times when I was like seven, eight years old where I would be acting out or I'd be, I would be masturbating. My mom didn't understand why I was always locking the door. And she asked if I wanted to talk about it one day. And I said, no. And I think that kind of set me on this path of like, I receive this, this religious criticism. I receive all of these harsh warnings from my dad. He would say things like, don't ever have sex before you're married. Women, literally, he would say this, women are whores and they just want to use you. Girls are too, by the way. And you have to protect yourself, save yourself till marriage, and then you can have all the sex you want. And it was confusing, but I didn't know any different. And so my sexuality was always kept to myself. I felt really stronger, but I always kept them to myself. And I would, I would never tell anybody what I felt and if it ever had to do with sexuality. And so you know, at 13 years old, when I had the opportunity to go and work with my uncles and to really do what I was passionate about, and that was like designing and building houses, I started just obsessing about it. I poured myself into it so I didn't have to think about anything else. And that workaholism kept me from, I think, a lot of harm. And there was a lot going on at, at home. I was the favorite. I hated being the favorite. I left. My dad would try to get a hold of me. He would try to control me. And I was just like, no, no more of this. At 18 years old, I was befriended by some Christian people. And I had this epiphany that there was this pivotal moment. And I say it was my come to Jesus moment when I was a Christian, right? But now I see it, it was this awakening of you get to decide who you want to be in life. And I could decide to be a predator, prey, or something else. And I didn't know what that was, but I was like, it's worth it to figure out what this is. And so I threw myself into activism. <laughs> I was a pro-life activist at the time, really hated to admit it for a lot of reasons, because it was a lot of harm done by what I, by my actions. And I was very passionate about what I did. And that was another way of not having to deal with my spirituality. It was like, I could just, just save lives and everything would be okay. And then I met this person through an online friend, he goes, I think you're going to be married. You're going to marry this woman. I'm like, I don't know who you are, number one. <laughs> and number two, I'm not interested in being married for the next four to five years because I'm going to college and I have all these things lined up. This is what I'm doing. And he said, well, just, just give it a chance. He's like, he's like, I've been talking to her online. And I'm like, you've been talking to her online? Like what? He's like, yeah, she's five years older than you. I'm like, not a chance. Well, I'm working a booth at the fair. I'm an activist. I'm like handing out merch and stuff. The girls are all around me. They love me. And he sets it up. So I have to, I really have to meet her because he's working the same booth. Like this guy is desperate to make it happen. And I show up and I meet her and 
it's like there's this light in her and her eyes are big and she's full of expression. She's wearing this crazy skirt that's just like all colorful. And I go, this woman is different. Well, long story short, we become best friends. We can fight in each other. And I find out that there's people who are honest about what they've gone through and they don't have to sugarcoat it. And so I opened up about all of this abuse. And from that point forward, I was like, if what she's saying is true, that you can self-heal, then I'm going to try to do that too. So we married seven months later, and we just start having kids left and right. <laughs> Some beautiful people came to us, became our mentors. And I know that that was what set us on a path of really connecting and really becoming intimate because sex scared the shit out of me in the beginning. It really scared the shit out of me because it was like, I had to deal with triggers and not having sex and thinking it was going to be wonderful. So it was like purity culture says this, church says this, but I just want freedom. And so in seeking freedom, I went to pornography. <laughs> and I just, I just dove into it like I'm trying to find answers because sex ed wasn't very good online back then. And so porn just was working kind of. But then I became addicted to porn because it was my escape again. So here I go and I'm, and I'm stuck in this and I'm confiding in my mentor and I'm like, how am I going to get over this? And it dawned on me that I literally create things in my life to overcome. I literally dive into things super deep knowing that it could be a problem because I actually love the struggle. And as I learned that in recovery groups, I was like, this is the one thing I've been missing the entire time. I've got all these other steps down. What if I just stop obsessing? And so I literally quit every recovery group. And I said, I'm just going to try to connect and be honest. And that was just such an incredibly beautiful time because my wife was just like, yeah, let's give it a chance. You know, like she'd been heart heartbroken by my actions. Um, we had tried to connect and, and then I would go and binge on porn and it was a shameful state to be in. So when I removed that and I said, I'm just, I'm not going to look at porn. And then I did. And my wife sat down with me and she said, I want you to search all the things that you search and I'm going to be right here and I'm not going to judge you. She's like, I was a sex worker. Like, I know what this is all about. Like, you're not going to fool me. And I kind of sighed relief and I started searching these things and she would ask me why. And from that point forward, I started, I started really just asking more questions. I started becoming more curious and I didn't want to binge on porn because I was able to see on the other hand, if I'm more vulnerable, I, I can not only have great sex, but I can feel like I'm being accepted. And realizing that that's just my biggest thing was just like being accepted. I was rejected by my parents for uh, marrying the woman I married and was just lived this life of judgment growing up. And I was like, if I just remove all the judgment, what happens? And I realized I had this like desire to just judge, to figure things out. But over time, it was like we were able to just communicate on a level where there was this brutal honesty. And I started to find that other people didn't have that in their relationship. And I was like, isn't everyone like this? Don't they just share stuff? And there's so many people that were in so much pain because they weren't actually just being honest with themselves. And so I started a group, a co-ed group of people who had all different issues. It wasn't around sexuality specifically. But what I found was is that 
when we dug deep into our problems, all the answers were very similar. Some of us have a tendency to be more addicted. Some of us have a tendency to just be more depressed. And then some of us have a tendency to just stay connected. I'm like, what's the answer to this? Why, why are these all these different variables? And when it came down to it, when we're able to see ourselves clearly, when we're able to use these tools that we had to see ourselves clearly and not have to believe the bullshit from our parents, the bullshit from society, and be able to just decide on what we want for us personally, we were able to overcome what seemed like insurmountable odds. Like one guy had 126 employees and he goes, he came to the group and he goes, it was his very first time. And he goes, I have all of this responsibility and I'm failing everyone. My boss is angry at me. I don't know where we are at with time. I hope we have about 18 minutes, I suppose. Yeah, I can intersect for sure. I think you you yeah. got a lot out of that, right? Like it's not only you recognize yourself uh, from a identity issue of who am I? So when you don't know that, and then one of the big thing we talk about in positive psychology is this master saboteur of judge. We learned from our environment because we've been judged on. So when we don't know any better, then we felt like that it's okay to be judged that way. And then we start judging ourselves. And then we use the same repetition to judge everybody else in this arbitrary society, right? Should we talk about this? Should we hide about it? Who am I as a person, right? Like I'm not doing enough. People should or wouldn't love me, right? Like all these lies that we start creating, we start manifesting. And then even for people who are listening, I had a client this morning, actually, She's a therapist. She gone through similar to what you gone through, the trauma since she was little, right? And then being in, in the relationship that was abusive for 16 years. And then you question people from a bystander, oh, how could you let this happen? Well, it's because these lies, right? And we, we tell ourselves like, oh, I can't do anything myself because I'm not caring enough about other people. Oh, I can't be having a my own identity, do my own thing because because then someone will take that away from me, right? We're losing that mm. power, right? All these things of, and then besides that is fear, right? Like some yeah. kind of arbitrary fear of if I go outside this boundary, somehow we create this boundary for ourselves where other people did, then who am I? Like, and mm. then someone will chase me or bring me down again, right? Like, so all yeah. this is incredible. It's not only just people who gone through trauma. I think even minor things in our day-to-day life, when we allow other people to criticize us, and then somehow our brain just like, oh my God, is this really true? We start doubting who we are as a person. We start believing in those poison that other people drink. And even just that tiny little side comment, right? Yeah. About our performance is so detrimental. Oh, so much, so much. I, my wife and I, um, we started a nonprofit in 2012. I'm sorry, 2009. About 2014, it was entirely over with. And it was this moment of going, who are we outside of how we help? I just have to admit, I'm a people pleaser. Like I do the best to not be a people pleaser, but I'm just leaning into it now. It's like, if I want to be around people, I want to be around people. If I don't, I don't. But it took hard, learning it the hard way. Um, I would join programs and just expect everyone to either love me or hate me. I had these black and white views. 
And I wouldn't really admit that. But when I looked into myself, it's like, that's what I was really doing. I was, I was not giving myself any kind of balance. I was really still operating out of a trauma. And what actually caused me to not compare myself to others and look deeply and actually see myself was my wife left me. In 2020, she left me. And it was for 28 days. And I decided that I had to, I had to really decide on who I wanted to be outside of all of those preconceived ideas that you speak of. And it was when I came back, when I said, I'm ready, I'm ready to take this life. It was, I thought it was gone. I thought it was like, we would never be together again. But I knew I had to do what was right for me, for my family. Instead of using everyone like a mirror, I started to shine my light and say, how does that affect that person? Like, instead of waiting for their feedback to know if I'm good or not, or if I'm validated for being a human being, I was like, how is that affecting them? It's that simple. It was like, it was this one way, like give and receive. It's a give and take. I like to say that life is this, it's, it's, it's a dance. It's an ebb and flow and it's a give and take. Because if we just want to be conquerors or we, we just want to lay back and let it happen, we'll never find really the happiness. We won't find our groove. We won't find who we are. So 2021 <laughs> has been, I know we're really down to the, the moment here. 2021 was a defining moment for my wife and I, because she had trauma. I had trauma. We healed through that trauma. But when you're an adult, there's all of these things, like when you have kids and all these things happen, you have to decide on who you want to become. And we've decided that we're individuals, right? But together we're powerful. And that is what superpowered humans is all about. One person is incredible by themselves, but you to put two people together with the same cause and you can do absolutely anything. Um, and I know I, this interview, I, I feel like I kind of pushed it to the very limit. It's very, the very end. But, um, Which is amazing because that's something I always talk about as well. It's creating the influence is about gathering the right people in your corner. And because with synergy, we create amazing stuff. And with a shorter amount of time was bigger impact. Instead of, of just feeling like I'm on my own, I have to carry the weight of the entire sh world on my shoulder and I have to yeah. just grind it out. I just have to figure out because if I don't figure out, people wouldn't know my value. If I don't do it, who's going to be doing it? If I have to delegate, then maybe people won't see me as this strong, powerful person, right? In our professional life. I, I read, you even touched on this. You got so dived into a career just to escape. And some of us are so good at doing that. I'm just busy picking out more projects just to be distracted from what we really need to focus on in our life. And then on the outside, we're career person. We're successful. But what does that really success mean to us, right? Is that mm. the true self until we be honest, do more reassessment and um, figure out who am I as a person? And I know I ask our speakers to take assessment and your one of your highest one is personal mission because now you're so aligned with who you are as a person, right? So in, in that sense, like when you took that assessment, when you saw the life wheel, what was the, some of the thing that popped into your mind? As I was taking the assessment, I think number one is why am I taking this assessment? <laughs> 
always ask myself that question. And I was relieved to know that it was really about priorities and really about like habits. And combining the two was really cool. I didn't know like really where I would track with the whole thing, but I can see that I've had the tendency to be so mission driven. And it's because I, I can use others to reflect back on me. And something happened to me just a few weeks ago where I have decided if I don't want to hang out with people, I don't want to hang out with them. I just don't care. Like I love my family. I love my wife. Like I've got a daughter that's out of state. I, I just love them and not to get entirely spiritual, but the journey I'm on right now is expanding my energy and protecting them like this big bubble and really just coming to terms with who I am. You cannot expand yourself. You can fool yourself. You can set yourself up for the biggest failure ever if you think that you can start with others before edifying yourself. The biggest lie that I think religion puts out there or um, these systems that don't take into account self or self-love is that you don't have the ability to really control yourself. You don't really have the ability to be in charge of your own life, that you're always going to just kind of be controlled by the influences around you. And then the second lie is that you are worthy because worthy says that you have to actually follow something to be good enough. I believe that we are worth. I believe that we don't do anything to become that we already are. And being in the moment right now is where we are supposed to be. We can look at the past, but if we don't apply it to now, and if we look at the future and we don't apply it to now, we're not living in our fullness. And we'll always be chasing happiness. We'll always always be chasing the highs. We'll never be really connected to ourselves. That's what I would encourage anyone who's listening to do is just remove those influences. And it's going to be crazy. It's going to feel, you're going to feel completely insane. But if you really just focus on your own healing and know that you are worth, not that you have to do all these things and measure up in all these different places, but you are worth starting right where you are. It will change everything about how you heal and how you respond to community. Exactly. It doesn't mean that you have to grow your practice to a million dollars of monthly revenue to know that you actually delivered the service for your patients, to your colleagues. It doesn't mean that you have to have certain title or degrees or just because you want to start your own practice, you have to get an MBA or some kind of PhD on top of everything. How is that really aligned with what you need and yourself now, right? And if we're not truly already living in our desire zone, all the other stuff are just distractions. And for sure, it's just being in the moment of where you need to be now. It's not to say we can't chase, you know, uh, something that we want. You can deserve whatever you want in life if you actually understand how is that impacting and not always in the chasing state and then forcing us to feel like we're just a slave behind our own labor work. And it's amazing for you to share both from a relationship and self-healing journey and knowing it's just like 
we talk about, I feel like everybody starts throwing about self-love, right? As just like a term, but not really living and embodying what that means for all of us. Um, so it doesn't matter how successful you are out there. I, I think all of us can reflect on that and really sit with it and to really define our own true freedom and meaning into that. So we so appreciate you coming on. So how would yes. people find you find more about your program and then for them to be really truly more connected to themselves and their partners well right now jess and i are working behind the scenes a lot and um superpowered humans was launched last year we're going through an entire new branding and so it's basically offline but where you can find me is on instagram at reads r-e-i-d-s underscore voice or on twitter reads underscore voice facebook you can find me right here live on Facebook or on the podcast. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Reed Richardson, Reed, R-E-I-D Richardson. And um, you'll find my link tree in all those locations and you can see what we're all about. My wife has an incredible book. I think it's the top of my link tree right now. It's called Everything I, Everything I Know I Learned From My Pimp. And it's really about expanding your awareness of yourself and society in order to respond to trauma. And I would highly encourage you. That's my one offer right now that I'd love for you to get on. It's really inexpensive, um, something that you'll get so much out of and have massive paradigm shifts. So yes, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Ree, for having to taking your time to talk about this tough subject that we don't hardly uh, really emphasize on. And thanks everyone for listening in. And we would love to hear your feedback. Leave us a, a review on iTunes or wherever you're hearing this from. And we will see you next week. Bye guys. All right, my friend, how did you love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to our show so you can continue to build your positive intelligence for that beautiful mind of yours to live powerfully and passionate. I know this just the tip of the iceberg. You probably have a lot more questions on actually how do I implement those things into my own life? Well, this is the solution. Joining us inside the private Facebook group Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash powerful passionate where I go live weekly to answer any questions that you have and continue to put more resources for you to help you to get to that point. You can be both powerful and passionate where you're no longer working on any mundane work and truly focusing on the things that matter. You can be both powerful and passionate where you can overcome any mental roadblocks keeping you from success. You can be both powerful and passionate where you feel energized from the moment you woke up to the time you go to bed. Join me and together we can create a life where you can be both powerful and passionate.